thoughts very concisely because I thought we were recording. Me too, Bliss. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't tell you. And I could like tell in the middle of what you're saying, you're like, oh, she thinks we're recording because this is all very good. <laughs> so now I feel bad that I wasn't recording. My bad. That's okay. I can whip that off again. Okay, Um, maybe when we get or we bring up The Last of Us. Okay. I can always bring up The Last of Us. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Same. Uh, but let's get started. Welcome to Bliss Fully Aware, the show in which three opinionated people discuss current events in fandom and tell you the things you didn't know you needed to know. I am Bliss, and per usual, I am joined by my dear friends and co-hosts, Kelty and Kendra. Hi. Hello. And today, I really, really want to complain about this article I sent y'all earlier this week. So it's an article by Polygon. Um, I think it was just a freelance writer that published it. I think so. I would assume so. It's kind of got to be. The title of the article is Games Need to Return to Black and White Morality. And the woman who wrote it, um, I apologize if I mispronounce this, but her name is Ki Hoon Chan. Um, so I hated this article, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad article. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a bad opinion. It's <sighs> it's a poorly thought out argument, bad and it's not only is it poorly thought out, it's the premises of the argument don't even get off the ground. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. We have forever to get into that. Uh-huh. I mean, aside from the fact that this article is just terrible, it starts out with a call out of two random young adult novelists. <laughs> I saw that too. I saw that too, man. That's really sad and nonsensical. It, it was like a, weird. A total non sequitur. Yeah. It didn't really have anything else, anything to do with anything else. Like, honestly, she said either. Like, on top of my just like grievances with this argument, you should really turn off TweetDeck if we're recording. Sure. Okay casual (laughs) (laughs) on top of my like grievances with the content of this article it just also brings out my inner copy editor because i want to just like strike out whole paragraphs being like this is this is irrelevant like this is not building toward your point get rid of it or like reword this or just this is clunky and oh yeah yeah it's just interesting because she only drops their names doesn't say what they've written just Young adult authors, <laughs> Ava J and KM Wayland. Yeah, and I I hadn't read anything that they put out, so I had to go and look up these writers. And they had several articles and books published by them about how to write creatively. Mm-hmm. So okay, you're gonna call out these people for having morally gray storylines or characters. I guess is what you're getting at. You took offense from these women at some point. Or, or just seems to be implying from their argument that gray morality is compelling narrative drama. Like the author of this article is then stretching that argument to be, therefore, black and white morality isn't compelling, which is not the arguments they make. Mm-mm. The arguments these authors are making are that characters who are not one-dimensional and always act in one way or always flawlessly act within their self-interest can be compelling to a reader. Not that absolute moralities are not compelling. It's a very common fallacy to assume that because someone is making an argument in one direction, they are also 
implicitly making a counter argument in the opposite direction. And that's not what either of these authors are doing. And it's what the writer of this article is implying in the first two paragraphs of this article. Well, and the fact that they go on to say, quote, we don't currently need more redemption stories about villains or tales about corruptibility of heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Also, I want this person to name me one successful redemption arc of a villain that didn't end in death, that isn't Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. I want one. One. Because there isn't any. There's not a single one. Because you don't, nobody knows what redemption is. They think that you have to die in order to be redeemed, which is not a redemption. That's just the end of the, that's the end of their arc. The only one I can think of, actually, in like recent pop culture is Loki from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, who fake dies twice. And then, in fact, actually, it seems real dies (laughs) in Endgame or Infinity War, whichever one it was. But he, you know, instead of getting a redemption arc or having to be like truly villainous, just kind of fakes his own death a lot to get out of his, to get, which is very on brand for Loki. I'm not saying that's that's bad, like for comic book movies or even for the character of Loki. Mm-hmm. Just that narratively, they don't really seem to know like if he is redeemable and when he is truly redeemable and like does a truly self-sacrificial act to help his brother in the beginning of infinity war he seems to die for realsies this time like it's no question the his little doppelganger from that's splitting off to do the the spin-off show the one in the past when they time travel and he takes the tesseract and teleports away like, he's gonna live on, I guess, but prime timeline Loki is, <laughs> is, is over. Yep. Yeah. Well, I just, I can't imagine a compelling story written for adults that only focuses on morally pure and immoral character. Like, yeah, that's the thing is that I, I have nothing to back this up except my own, my own observations and suspicions, but I would bet money on the fact that this attitude comes from the fact that a lot of grown women nowadays read only YA fiction. It's like, it's an occurrence I'm seeing where women in their 20s and up until their 30s are like super into only YA literature and like read it and are part of the fandom and like interact with authors on Twitter in this weird parasocial sort of way. Cause like as stated in the last episode, book Twitter is crazy Mm. and I would not set foot in that hornet's nest at all. But from what I, from what I observe of book Twitter, it's mostly grown fucking women and I, like, fine. I'm not here to poo-poo on your enjoyment of YA literature. If that's what you want, if that's what, you know, gives you comfort, then go have have a great time. I hope it's fulfilling. But, so, I see a lot of these similar arguments happening in the YA for adults subgroup of fandom <laughs> people, the subgenre of fandom, where they're arguing over 
people, like teenagers and young adults in these books, the characters struggling, like having to do anything. Like, not that it's just a book about a perfectly self-actualized teenager who never comes up against a, a, you know, a confrontation or, you know, struggles with something or has something mean happen to them. (laughs) And I can't help but wonder how much of that attitude is influencing articles like this where, for whatever reason, the author has decided that the only way that we, collectively, we as a society, are going to get through this very traumatizing period of history that we're living through is to have unquestionable bastions of moral good in our narrative fiction lay waste to dragons and monsters and save us all from the tower that living in the modern West has has ensconced us in. Well, and they even say so much at the very exactly. end. Um, that was another one of the quotes that like just jumped oh, out at me. me. Was oh, I'm saying. sorry. I, I, I read this on my phone, so I didn't even know there was a big old segue into Game of Thrones. Oh, we don't have to get into that today. <laughs> well, let's not get sorry. into that today. There was just a giant photo of uh, Aiden, Peter. Yeah, Peter, uh, Aiden Gillian. Uh, just, and I, ooh, never mind. So that quote, I just have to read it to y'all. Uh, they say, Watching our heroes stick to their convictions, even against insurmountable odds, ratchets up drama rather than destroying it. The concept that good can ultimately triumph over evil is a timeless one, and stories that rally around this trope, around unadulterated hope, can help guide us through the year's ceaseless onslaught of calamities. I have a complaint about that, because the thing that bothers me most about that is the implication that hope is not in morally gray stories. I mean, apparently it's not. (laughs) I gotta, I gotta, I just, I gotta, I gotta, I I just, here I go. Okay, so, yes, heroes sticking to their convictions, to their beliefs, in the face of insurmountable odds, is dramatic. It is also a heroic thing to do the hard thing when the easier thing is an option. That's only dramatic if we as an audience are worried that our hero might not do that, that our hero might in fact do the bad thing. And in order for us as an audience to consider that as a possibility, this hero has to have some kind of flaw to appeal to. They have to have something that convinces us, the audience, that they might go do the bad thing instead of the good thing. Because otherwise, if, you know, Sir Lancelot, some actual paladin of virtue, wanders in and the dragon is like, you can go save the princess or you can have all this money and gold and treasure beyond your wildest dream and I get to eat the princess or whatever the stakes are. That's only a dramatic choice if we know that this paladin of virtue might choose the gold over the princess. If we know beyond a doubt that our main character would never take the quote-unquote evil bad route, then there is no tension because we never are concerned for one instant that our hero might not do the good thing. It's like TV, 
where when you have main characters that just keep surviving, you eventually stop worrying for their safety, which is fine if there are if it's fine if there are other things at stake. But like with Supernatural, where it just wants to have the stakes be the brothers living, but we know that the brothers are going to live because if they don't live, then one's just going to go and get the other and take them out of death time. Literally out of hell. <laughs> and and then they're both alive again. And this just keeps happening. So it stops being dramatic or even interesting. The stakes literally can be raised past going to hell, I guess, because they're not... The people, the writers of Supernatural are not prepared to go even further and be like, I don't know, what if God, like, sends the universe into heat death or something? I don't know. I don't know the rules of Supernatural. It's a stupid <laughs> show. But, yeah. If, like, because now, now our heroes, the two brothers, have done the most dramatic thing. They have literally brought someone back from the dead, they have rescued someone from hell. And in this universe, the stakes can't get higher. Yeah. So we're just going to rinse repeat that yeah. until, you know, the fandom wheels fall off this yeah. thing. And it's been like six times now and like it's boring now. And that's that's the thing is that the first time it was dramatic and it was it was intense and we were all emotional about it. And then the second time we were like, oh, well, they already did this. So I guess they're going to do it again. And they did it again. I guess that's good and then again and again and then we all stopped watching and it's still playing i'm presumably still just going back and forth saving each other from hell until eventually they, they get retire retire yeah. yeah but like it's frustrating that people seem to want that story just over and over at the expense of all other stories like it's one thing if they're like i just want to watch supernatural all day like fine i get that all i do is play animal crossing when i'm mad because i just want to just zone out and talk to little animals and build stuff and it's cute and it's fun and i don't care but i'm not going to run around and be like we need more Animal Crossing games and fewer games like you people want. That doesn't make a lot of sense. That was honestly my biggest grievance with the article, too, was that not here is the value of simplistic morality in video games. It was simplistic morality in video games is good, actually, and better than all of your lamestream, prestigious writing video games with their moral quandaries <laughs> and their imperfect heroes. It was this very sanctimonious, like, attitude the author took that I clearly did not sit well with me. <laughs> well, because the only yeah. two games they called out for being morally right and the only example of a good video game was Mario and Monkey Island. <laughs> I know! I know, which was... Also strange because there are mini games Which, like, like this. Yeah, my man, if that's what you mean, <sighs> like if that's what's gonna get you through these next couple of years, fucking play Mario, man. I don't want to take that from you. Yeah, like go stomp on a Goomba's head and don't feel the least bit upset or you know reflection reflectionary about that. Reflectionary is not a word, but you know, don't <laughs> don't have just 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 go destroy the Mushroom Kingdom. And if that's what you need, 
then then go pursue that. I want that for you. Yeah, because like when Trump got elected, I immediately just played Stardew Valley for like 48 hours straight because I was just like, no, the world isn't real. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna farm my veggies and it's gonna be a good time and just make all I the villagers fall in love with me and then that's it. That's the that's the fun time that I'm having. Like yeah, I can't live in this world. I can't live in this world. I gotta go farm <laughs> and sleep with this whole village. Like that's and, what I gotta do. Yeah, and it was nice. Well, and that's the whole premise of the game, too, isn't it? I give up on society. I'm just gonna go be a farmer. And, like, that was... That was helpful for me. And I'm not gonna shit on anybody's need to do that in order to function in society, because I get it. But, like, your way isn't the only way, is the thing. Like, when when Kendra's sad, Kendra likes to kill zombies, and then... And, and, and people. And people. And... Totally. and feel this whole like I, I live in that fucking moral gray yeah. area I'm sad man I want to feel tormented and upset and I want I want to indulge in that feeling because at least then god damn it like I'm not alone yeah you know? and I, I get that too because that's also why I like attached to Game of Thrones so hard that's kind of my point is that both are useful and helpful ways of dealing with your problems it's fine if you only use one. That's totally fine. But you can't just act like your way is the best way and you don't... Well, and they're not even saying that these video games are wrong when coping with times of grief. That is how they end the argument sort of randomly. Yeah, they did, but right? most of it was just about, in general, these games, these specific games <laughs> and games like them in a, in a vague concept sort of way, all... <laughs> suck only these two games and then they also mention undertale but i don't think they understand what they were saying about undertale elaborate because we don't know a goddamn thing about undertale all i know about undertale is that there's a flower that's cute and then it can be evil sometimes <laughs> okay buckle up and spoiler warning for undertale because it is a game that's fun to go into blind um it is a rpg indie darling made by toby fox and the idea is you are i mean just to break it down to its bare parts you are the main character you fight monsters you follow a linear path to the end goal Uh but to get more into the story you're a child that falls into the underground the monsters are in the underground and they want to go back above ground and to do that, they have to kill you. So your actions on whether or not you kill the monsters affect the outcome of your game. But you don't know that necessarily at the beginning. Oh. It brings in this moral, um, almost meta-narrative of you as the person uh-huh. are playing this character. So that means that, you know, your morals come into play because you are playing this character. I find it interesting that they think that this is a good game because it does break down into the three different paths, pacifist, neutral, and evil. And that's fine, but that means that there is a level of this game that is neutral and gray. So it basically goes against the entire crux of their argument. (laughs) And it, it just really frustrates me because it feels like they're missing the entire point of the story that Toby Fox is trying to tell and 
if you would just take a step back and reflect, maybe you'd get it. But apparently, that's impossible. Yeah. Well, I, I've heard that complaint, too, about The Last of Us, where they're like, if it's supposed to be a game about telling you that violence is bad, then why do you have to be violent? It's like, well, you're missing the point, really, is the... Also, that's not the point of The Last of Us. The The theme is not violence is bad. No. The theme, especially in part two, is that revenge will destroy you. And it doesn't matter if you are violent or not in pursuit of that revenge. It will It will take away the good things of your life and won't give you the satisfaction, the closure that you are aiming for. So I don't know why people frame it in this, in a, as a theme about violence. It's not. Like, it's very, it's a violent world. There's a lot of violence in these games, but I don't really consider the story to be about violence or for it to be thematically about violence. It's not. Well, that's the thing is that, especially, people only really started saying this in two, and that's because all, all the people that you play are women. Yeah. So they don't notice that the violence is there from the get-go in the first yes, one, too. Yes, the first game is very, is also very violent, and, like, you can have an argument, I guess, whether or not violence in narrative media is good or not, but it's definitely there and not new to The Last of Us Part Two. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's women both inflicting the violence and having the violence inflicted on them, which makes a lot of people very uncomfortable because they don't like the idea of women being capable of violence. Mm-hmm. And especially not revenge. Especially, especially a gay woman. Yeah. yeah. Which is funny, because we're probably the angriest. It doesn't surprise me. But it does make me very angry seeing white straight men play that game and then throw a hissy fit because it wasn't tailor-made for them. You're playing a woman. Like, how many other games do you play women? Tomb Raider. Yeah, and like Metroid. You're violent in these games, so what What makes The Last of Us so different? No, no, it's, it's very much... It's because the main character is not framed as a sex object. Neither of the main characters are framed as a sex object, and male gamers don't know what to do with that. Mm. Ellie's gay, and nobody wants to fuck Abby because they're all fucking cowards. God, they (laughs) are cowards. Abby can get it. You do get to see Abby's tits, but nobody wants to see Abby's tits because she's more muscular than they are, so they're upset about that. So she's not fuckable. Mm -hmm. Boo-hoo. I would fuck Abby. Me too. Girl. Oh yeah, but I just I'd have her destroy me. Yeah, it's it's very much that male players of these games, if the female protagonist that they're controlling is not a sex object, then they just have to actually empathize with her, and they don't know how to do that. No. And so their reaction is anger, because it's fine puppeteering you know a woman around this world if I can objectify her literally. You know, she's an object on the screen, but if I have to empathize with her pain in order in order to see her as a protagonist, that's that's scary and hard, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. 
I saw like because I like to just be on Facebook and start fights with straight white men because it's, it's fun for me. But I see it on Facebook all the time where it's like, well, but when Joel doomed the human race, at least he did it out of love, quote unquote, massive air quotes, by the way, because it was a selfish act. You dumbass. You didn't fucking pay any attention. But that's beside the point. But then they're like, but Abby killed Joel. Spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> Abby killed Joel. And that's unforgivable. Despite the fact that she also had her own reasons that were also fueled by love and upset and loss. But, you know, she's a woman, so she doesn't really get to have feelings. She's a woman angry at a man, even worse. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, the, the game does not frame that act of Abby's as good or, you know, the right thing. It does sympathize with her, but mm -hmm. it definitely doesn't valorize her choice. And in fact, a lot of the other characters, a lot of her friends say that to her face uh -huh. like man i kind of wish we hadn't tortured a guy to death i feel different now <laughs> yeah and even later she never says it but you can kind of tell especially in the end when she's like i'm not gonna fight ellie even though she was like if i see you again i'll kill you that was their last moment together was if i see you again i'll kill you then Ellie comes in, and she doesn't even want to kill her. Well, she does try, but she, you know, only after Ellie's like, no, we're gonna fight, and I'm gonna threaten your your new son. Your adopted son. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna threaten your adopted son in order to get you to do this, and... I, I just very much need to point out for my own sanity, for because I, in fact, hate getting into fights on the internet, and I don't do it, and it's not cathartic for me at all. So this is just to, this is sort of addressed to everyone I've seen get this wrong. Abby is very much the same character as Joel. She has mm -hmm. almost the exact same character arc. She loses a loved one and is tossed down this spiral of revenge and anger. And upon meeting a small child that she sort of pseudo adopts to protect against this, this big bad world, she goes through a character arc and learns to care about something other than her vengeance and eventually turns on her whole society for Lev, for her adopted child, much like Joel did for Ellie. And at the very last scene in the game, at the Pillars of Santa Barbara, they very blatantly put in a parallel where Abby has to scoop up an unconscious Lev and says to him, don't worry, I've got you or something. Basically, word for word, Joel rescuing Ellie from the hospital and carrying her to to where, I guess, outside the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> the car. The car, yeah. And that that is because, you know, they want you to realize very obviously that these characters have now gone through parallel character arcs and it is only Ellie's inability to let go of the need for vengeance that almost dooms that to not happening. So, yeah, I just need everyone to realize that Abby's pain is as sympathetic and justifiable as Ellie's or as Joel's. That doesn't make any of their violence the right thing. It just makes it sympathizable, which are different, by the <laughs> way. Being able to sympathize with a character is not the same as valorizing that character and all of their actions.
I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, babe. You're welcome, babe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't think I could have said it better mm-hmm. myself, though. And I feel like the writer of this article, um, because they do bring up Joel and his morally gray decision at the very end of the game. And I'm almost like, oh, oh, look, you're almost making a good point. Yeah, they they, they really do almost stumble on to what they're trying to say in that in that section where they talk about Joel. Because yes, to quote the article, the tension of the games, The Last of Us, the first one, uh, the game's brutal final act comes from the contrast between how we've been led to perceive him, Joel, and his actions in the most important scene in the game. But that decision loses its impact unless we already mark him as the hero. Mm-hmm. And it does. We definitely, at that point in the game view Joel as the hero. He has done nothing but have bad things happen to him. He loses his daughter horribly, traumatically. He uproots his whole life to help out a bud. And he's done nothing but protect Ellie. So while we understand that he has a morbid, questionable past because, you know, it was the fucking apocalypse and you had to you had to do unsavory shit to survive, we we don't we haven't seen him do anything like truly untoward or anything that would make us, you know, be like, maybe this man shouldn't be taking care of this 14 year old girl <laughs> in, in the wilderness. Like we never are worried about like Joel might just snap <laughs> and like, you know, lose it one day and, you know, hurt Ellie or abandon her or something. No, that's never, that's never like uh, a, a risk that is set up in their dynamic, but Ultimately, Joel saving Ellie from the hospital is a selfish choice and is like a really like crazy violent snap on his part. Mm-hmm. He's just like, God damn it, I've been through so much shit. I can't lose another person I care about. Everyone in this fucking hospital has to die so that I can keep my surrogate daughter. And also, the rest of society, too. I'm cool with that. <laughs> I don't care if we find a vaccine, just so long as I can live out the rest of my life with my surrogate daughter, because I can't stand to lose anything else. And, yeah, that's a very selfish decision, and it's definitely hard to do. Like, as as the player in that scene, I am very conflicted. I I don't want Ellie to die, but I also don't want to murder all of these people who are trying to save the human race. So yeah, I that conflict of Joel is going to, you know, stack up bodies like Cordwood in order to save Ellie is compelling because I want both things. I want Ellie to be alive and I want there to be a vaccine and I can't have both. And that is where the tension and the drama comes from. Well, and so one terrible take I keep seeing pop up from the straight white male Joel fanboys <laughs> is that they framed the doctor in The Last of Us 2, yeah. uh, Abby's dad, as being bad or corrupt in some way. And so that justifies what Joel did. And it feels like such a reach because that doesn't make what Joel did right and it doesn't necessarily make Joel good. It is, or it like it doesn't I would argue that he is a good guy and that this decision is not a good one or it's a crazy violent one, but that's the point is that like I can 
I can like this character and sympathize with this character and not full-heartedly support everything they other they ever did. And also, that's like, yeah, I think casting the Fireflies, the people who, again, were going to murder a 14-year-old girl so that they could save the human race, I don't think that that's a totally morally justifiable position. They don't wake her up on purpose because there is a chance she might say, no, I don't want to be sacrificed. (laughs) I want to stay alive. And if making a vaccine for all the zombies means that I have to die, please don't kill me. And then they have to no question murder a 14 year old girl. And that's, that's dark. This is a real, I guess, trolley problem, to put it in really 101, (laughs) philosophy 101 ethics uh, parlance, to say, is it good or not good, but is it justifiable to kill one person so that many more may live? And that's not a question that we have an answer to satisfactorily in, I'm going to say, the 6,000 years that human beings have been doing, like, written down philosophy we still don't have a satisfactory answer to that question. It's still a problem, as it were. And so, yeah, the the Fireflies are definitely not the plucky freedom fighters who are just going to harmlessly create a vaccine and save the world, you know, by murdering a 14-year-old girl without her consent. And you can definitely make an argument about problematizing that approach. And they do, by the way. There's a whole scene where Abby's dad and, oh, what's the woman's name? Marlene? Marlene! Okay. Uh, There's a whole scene with Abby's dad and Marlene talking about the ethical implications of murdering a 14-year-old girl without her consent, just so that, you know, well you can save the whole world potentially but you know that wasn't a guarantee like they maybe they couldn't make a vaccine maybe you couldn't have at least made it in such huge quantities that you could inoculate the whole surviving population we don't know but it was a quandary it was it was something that they themselves considered as maybe being a little ethically repugnant they have that whole scene though where she's playing the tape recorder Mm -hmm. And they're like, we can't make a vaccine even if we find another person because the only person who could have made the vaccine is dead. Joel shot him in the face. So like, no, Joel, you weren't right to save her even then. I'm not saying that I wouldn't have done it. Not only can I not prove that, but I I also know that... You can't prove that you wouldn't do the exact same thing to save humanity from the zombie plague? Not if it was you. Absolutely not. No, yeah, if, if I am in that situation and the person I care most about in the world is on the operating table, I cannot guarantee you what what course of action I would take. I'd even be willing to bet that it's the wrong course of action. (laughs) I'm just saying that just because you empathize with Joel doesn't make him right and doesn't make his decision good, certainly not selfless or smart. I think the thing that people don't realize is that just because you empathize with somebody doesn't mean you have to assume that they're right. 
it's something that I see on Twitter all the time. It's something that I see when people are complaining about fucking Kylo Ren. Like, Jesus Christ, sometimes we just want to fuck Adam Driver, <laughs> but but God forbid... God it, forbid he have a compelling character arc or something. A compelling something. character arc and a nice outfit. Like, goddamn. In a swishy black robe. Like, sometimes I just want to be a drama queen in my swishy black robe. And I'm not saying that that's a good impulse. <laughs> I'm just saying that I can relate to it. I also, yes, like, the flip side of this is that I very much sympathize with Abby. I still think she was wrong to kill Joel. Uh I still think that that was an exercise in futility and it didn't accomplish anything but foisting more violence into her life Uh and more, you know, pain and hurt and didn't really give her the closure she wanted until she learned to, I guess, care about people outside of her freakish militaristic society. That's, again, the point. Like, I'm not going to say this is a subtle game, the, the narrative beats in this story are not super, you know, opaque. Mm. They're kind of very fucking obvious. And to see so many people get it wrong and, like, just refuse to engage with the story properly because they're mad that a girl killed their, their fave is deeply, deeply frustrating. Mm-hmm. It is. And, I mean, I'm not going to say it's the worst thing to happen in 2020, but it was deeply offensive. (laughs) It is is something that has a scope that I can deal with. I can deal with a bunch of, a bunch of man babies being mad that a girl is in their video game. I can't deal with a lot of other shit that's going on right now. I don't have control over a lot of other things. If I kind of reduce my sphere of influence down to a bunch of man baby trolls that are mad about video games, that's a problem I can attack, Mm. you know, in a day, maybe. I I can kind of put that one to bed and then lay my head down at night and be like, that's fine. (laughs) I did what I could. Also, just an aside, just really quick, I have to get this off my chest. Okay, so a lot of people, a lot of queer people even, are complaining that Lev's story is dark. I need to talk to you about how you're wrong, okay? Because the important thing is that everyone's fucking story is dark. There are zombies taking over the world. Everyone is dying. Of course his story's dark. And it's important to know that queers have dark stories sometimes. Not everything is Steven Universe happy fun time pearls. We have trauma and problems and parents who don't love us and shitty society rules and we get fucked over a lot more so even one might say than the heterosexual cis community so perhaps there's something there but you know go ahead get mad because the trans character in the video game isn't happy-go-lucky when zombies are killing everyone that seems super logical okay i'm done i'm fine side note the fact that you bring up pearl as the only character you know from steven universe is kind of funny because she probably is the second most tragic backstory i'll be honest i just picked a random gym i actually did not know there was a pearl in the story i don't care I just picked, I I almost said Opal, and I don't even know, is that a character? I don't. Yeah, 
cool. Every gem that I know of is a character, but I mean, I don't know every single gemstone out there. Well, I don't either. I'm sorry that Pearl has a sad story, but... I mean, it doesn't invalidate your point. I'm just bringing up that Pearl was a very there's, sad there's character. Steven Universe was really boring. Ooh, hot Steven Universe takes. Spicy take alert. I mean, the show's been... Is it over? Uh, <laughs> that's a song from the show. It is over. Okay. It is over as a song from the show? Okay. Okay. Well... Great. You can you can dub over any gym. I'll just I'll list a bunch of gyms that I know at the end of this episode, and you can just dub over whichever one doesn't have a sad story because I don't care enough to learn them all. Name me five gems that you know, Kelty. <laughs> Not from the show, just Hold in on. general. <laughs> Amethyst, Garnet, uh-huh. Opal, uh-huh. Pearl. Uh-huh. Pearl's technically not a gemstone. Oh. Okay, well then hold on one second. Give me a minute. Um, Topaz. Um, Sapphire. There you go. Zoom. You did it. You missed, like, Ruby. I feel like that's one of the easier gemstones. Diamond. Diamond. Yeah. Amethyst. I just named the gemstones that people I know have as their birthstone and, like... Oh, God. I hate my birthstone. What is it? Peridot. I hate Peridot. I think it's ugly as hell. I do know that that's a gem that's in the show, though. I didn't know that was yeah, an actual gem. She's she's problematic. She's something. problematic. She's canceled. She's, she's not even problematic. She was a bad character that gets redeemed and becomes a good that, character. There we go. That's canceled, I thought. People people learning from their mistakes is canceled. But there you go. Now, we have one to talk about Everybody now. in the comments is going to be like, what, Steven Universe, you fucking cow? Okay, cool. Uh, it's not a show made for adults. That's fine. It has dark themes, but it's a children's show. Yep, that's fair and allowed. <laughs> Just the puritanical teens out there right now baffle me. Yeah. That'll be a whole other episode. Yeah, the because... whole reaction against, like, progressivism is worrying and that's one of those things that's too big for me to deal with so instead i focus on being mad about video games because like if i just scream at idiots all day on the internet then eventually the abyss stares also into me and i have become all that i have hated so to get back on topic yes a little a couple other games that they choose to call out is the far cry series the witcher bioshock infinite that um, one was was a, a stupid choice. <laughs> uh, can't speak to Far Cry. I've never played Far Cry, but I'm also just noticing, like, in the reading of this, it's odd because, like, Bioshock Infinite has a like one of those fake morality systems where it like tries to pretend that your actions, your choices as a player, will like affect the outcome in a way that it did in Bioshocks one and two. Bioshock Infinite, you know it's arguably stupid reveal is that you are like in a time loop and you can't ever meaningfully affect the outcome of your circumstance because you have always fucked over yourself in the past. And that, that, that was like not cohesive, let's say narratively. They just kind of wanted to pull a, like, like a Shyamalan style twist on everyone because they were expecting there to be a morality system. And in fact, 
there was no morality system, even though we told you there was, and that's that's shocking or something. Like, that's what they were going for. I don't know. I still enjoyed playing Bioshock Infinite because I think it's gorgeous, and it's fine as a shooter. Like, it's nothing special, but I enjoyed it. And the story, especially the, like, reveal of there is no morality, it's all just, it's all time loops all the way down, (laughs) was unsatisfying. Well, and I guess I think it's telling that the Bioshock fandom, I've never seen anything but mostly nice people. And in a game that this writer praises Undertale, that fandom was so toxic. Oh, that fandom is the worst fandom of all time. Like I just, in my, in my 20 years of being in fandom spaces, Undertale was the worst I had ever seen, including Homestuck. Mm. Like, I don't know how that sort of community sustains itself. Eh, it's a Ouroboros, but for nerds. Like, I am I am the truest fan. I know everything there is about Star Wars, and I've read all the extended universe novels, and I've seen the Japanese cut that has six extra frames of footage or whatever. <laughs> and, like, that very much used to be, like, the way to have social currency in fandom was to be the most knowledgeable about a thing, a text, whatever it was. And it sort of, in at least, like, some fandoms, very quickly veered into being like the most fake woke and i say fake woke very on purpose because i really like progressivism it's good we should have more of it fake woke is this very specific sort of usage of sociological theory and movements like feminism and anti-racism in a like context where you use it to only accrue social capital for yourself not actually to affect positive or progressive change in society. So this idea that, you know, I am woker than thou is how communities like the Undertale fandom and the Homestuck fandom largely operate. I don't know why. So I would have to do like an anthropological field study of these fandoms if I wanted to determine why they are the way they are. I don't care to. It's like the witch trials. Like eventually someone's going to say they saw you with the devil and you're going to get burned at the stake and excommunicated. And then eventually you're just going to run out of people. Like, there's going to be no one left. And, you know, all the witches are in are, are you now, I guess. I don't know. So I don't know how, how a community like, like the Undertale fandom is still so toxically obnoxious and wrongheaded, like, five years later. I have been finding original Homestuck and Undertale fans creeping into current fandom in like the sly spy sort of way. Like, I'm not going to say it until we're deep in it now. (laughs) Until I know I can trust you. Uh (laughs) I have to know you were cool. And then I'm just going to like bust out with, oh, and by the way, I'm a Homestuck fan. And oh, by the way, I was, you know, this big name fan in the Undertale fandom. And it's like, well, were you? Cool. (laughs) That definitely changes how I approach this relationship. (laughs) Oh. Really? Because I I don't I don't need a part of that. If you're bringing it to this fandom, fine. I'm gonna go play with my toys in the corner. Yes, uh, I have nothing against most fandoms. I have a few things against the Homestuck fandom, and a few things against a few things against the Steven Universe fandom. They did drive a girl to trying to commit suicide. That was that was pretty intense. That was super fucked up. Yeah. A lot of people don't remember that. I will never forget. Yeah. 
me either. Yeah, I feel genuinely bad for creators with toxic fandoms. Toby Fox, Rebecca Sugar, hell, even Vivsy Pop. Has Been Hotel just got greenlit. Look at the fandom. I feel terrible for her. She's so... The temporal space of, like, fandom wokeness is collapsing. It is. It's, like, just flattening. And eventually we're just going to enter the state of, like, meta-wokeness where everything is woke and non-woke simultaneously. Yeah. It's this very unique subcultural social space that is like entirely voluntary and also rapidly becoming like this weird prescriptive performance uh-huh. of parasocial online space and i don't like it which is why i i've kind of come full circle and now i'm just back to hanging out on like really niche message boards and like tracking super niche tags and talking to like five people and that's all i want because like i can't handle the fucking way it is with mm-hmm. all of this fucking scolding and judgment and half-baked theory articles like this polygon bullshit god damn like if i had turned this in as a paper like holy shit <laughs> i would have failed and maybe been kicked out of the class yeah like not even do they not make their point it's also just a lot of like failed premises i'm just going to quote this whole paragraph it's crazy uh this prescriptive allows even the most racist or authoritarian among us to argue that their beliefs are just that beliefs they are free to pursue and should be free to do so instead of the reality of plain old boring evil white supremacy or fascism video games love to blend the good and the bad themselves until they become a gray goo eventually and sometimes relentlessly symbolically arguing that all lives matter Ah. and at that point in the article i threw my phone across (laughs) the room because i could not believe what i was seeing like it's like the sympathizing with a villain is the same as tolerating fascism is what this paragraph (laughs) says it's just a false equivalency it's it's the toleration paradox which is a well understood kind of like very 101 alt-right argument that we must tolerate intolerance because we are the tolerant ones is such a fucking wild thing to claim in a in an article on a video game journalism <laughs> website. I was speechless. Yes, I, mean, I mean, from two, like, my questions are twofold. My questions are, why, content-wise, do you want this sort of, like, half-baked Ethics 101 take on this website where you genuinely try to promote video games as serious art? And two, it's written abhorrently. Like, it is poorly constructed. The argument is sloppy and and full of just contradictions and fallacies like this one. And so even just if the editor was like, I think you've got something really great to say here. We just really need to tighten up your argument a whole lot. But that's apparently also not what happens. No. Because it's just on the website like this. (laughs) This is what I want on our website. Like when they say enemies have always been bad and will always be bad, heroes are good and always find a way to succeed, even if they have to strain against their own moral codes. That's not black and white. That's the point of great morality, yeah, right? Like that's, that's morality. That, that takes me back to my, my original point, 
wherein she's talking about a, a hero adhering to their values in the face of insurmountable odds or an easier, less ethical route is compelling. And it is, but it is only compelling if we as an audience and perhaps even the character are not certain that they won't do the unethical thing, which, you know, is presumably what the, the author means when they say straining against their own, their own moral paradigms. Like there has to be, there has to be at least some doubt that the hero will do something unheroic or there is no tension. <laughs> that is honestly what the, um, one of the YA authors that they called out, I went and actually read several of their, how do you write compelling character articles Ava J was saying that you know you write a great character it doesn't mean that they're apathetic or boring it also doesn't mean that they're necessarily good or bad it's that they struggle with this moral code and that's fine because it progresses a more interesting story okay I'm actually gonna break I'm gonna break my own rule a little bit and I'm gonna talk about Game of Thrones and I'm just gonna talk about Game of Thrones in the in the context of the character Jon Snow because I think Jon Snow, as a character, perhaps illustrates this point that we're trying to make in a pretty in a pretty accessible way. So Jon Snow, for those of you who have not watched Game of Thrones, I guess you exist, um, <laughs> or at least have not heard of it. Here's here's a really basic rundown of Jon Snow as a character. So Jon Snow is a character who kind of exists in this inherent contradiction. He is the illegitimate son of this lord who is sort of famous for his honor and his just adhering to the law and the code of honor every time, except in this one instance, apparently, where he had some we-might-die sex and, and has has an illegitimate child. And being, being a guy who sort of always does the right thing, he decides that he is going to claim this child and he is going to raise him acknowledging him as his son, and Jon Snow grows up kind of uh, internalizing this moral code of always do the right thing, while simultaneously having to live with the shame of being an example of man's inherent lack of morality and lack of ability to do the right thing. So anyway, Jon Snow joins the army, I guess, very briefly. As he's coming of age, like he's 15, 16, 17, goes and joins a military group that is basically supposed to defend the border against the magical unknown. And he is told as a child that this institution that he's about to join, the Night's Watch, is proud and noble, and men happily give their lives in defense of the country and in defense of the realm. And he arrives, and it's just not that at all, obviously. It's mostly criminals and sad old men, and it's just people who have nowhere else to go and they don't particularly like each other. It's not this chivalrous brotherhood trying to defend the world against, you know, the evils of the unknown. And he's very disillusioned with that and further disillusioned with the fact that most of their fight is not against the magical unknown. It's really just against people who live on the other side of the wall and this code of honor that he has been told to uphold his whole life and not question is telling him that he should kill these people because they live on the wrong side of the wall. And in fact, this, this code of goodness that he has been trying to follow, he's realizing, is A, impossible to adhere to, and B, not really good. 
it's not really fulfilling its own promises. It's not fulfilling its own claims of justice and virtue and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of John's early character arc is coming to terms with the fact that what he thinks is justice and virtue and morality is not what he has been told is justice and virtue and morality. And he is having to forge his own code of what is right because the ones that have been supplied for him are severely hypocritical. No, nowhere in any of this does John, like, I don't know, you know, shoot a doctor in the face or anything, or like murder a 14 year old girl. But that is still a tension. That is still like John is is probably one of the goodest characters in Game of Thrones, a series that is formidable with its moral grayness. Jon Snow is probably one of the true good heroes in that story. But he still like has conflicts. Like it's still hard for him to even figure out what is good and like what his own society is telling him is good is is like to kill women and children because they're on the wrong side of the wall. And that's not good, maybe, <laughs> says John. Like he's he's just learning that the the actual way the world functions is not applicable to this very strict moral code that he has been told to not question. And if you adhere to these things, you will be a good man and you will, I don't know, you know, earn honor and respect and whatever it is men in medieval societies want. So I never question in the show or books, at least the early portions of the show, um, <laughs> whether John is going to have like a huge moral slip and like accidentally like axe murder a guy to death or something. But I am worried that he is going to, in his process of struggling to find out what true virtue and honor and, and ethics are to him, that he might stumble and make mistakes. And like he does. He do. And that's part of his character arc and part of his growth. So I think you can very much have a character like that who is genuinely a good person and just kind of wants to do what is right and wants to protect people and, like, have them struggle with ethical dilemmas. This author of this article seems to think that those two things are incompatible. You can't have a character do both of those things. And that's just such a lazy, stupid way to approach writing that I'm honestly gobsmacked. Yeah. That's what this author is like misunderstanding about what a morally gray character is. And I it just, it makes the whole article fall apart because it's like the linchpin of their arguments. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, that episode of Community where both Annie and Jeff are like, they keep using the Dean back and forth to like. <laughs> like the conspiracy episode. Yes, the Dean I just keeps feel, joining conspiracies. I feel like that's what this person thinks a morally gray character is. <laughs> just no loyalty. <laughs> just no loyalty <laughs> at all. Anything. Just runs around in a circle going, okay, sure, just fine. Just agrees to anyone who wants to do a conspiracy. But like, because cause the part, like, you know me, you know how much I care about Captain America. I have a tattooed over my chest. When they brought up Steve, I was just kind of like, what? What, what's your point here? I don't really get what your argument is because 
he has some incredibly morally gray moments, which kind of catapult the entire series. His entire plot in each of his movies is by doing something morally gray. To Like, that's the conflict. That's the like, conflict this, every time. This paradigm of, of virtue is having to make a choice with no right answer, hence drama. Shit, he lies so that he can get into the army. Is more is it morally gray to lie? Like how how far down are we gonna take this like black and white morality? Where who draws the line of what is black and white? Are you going to decide what's black and white? We yes. all just have to live in your world. Author of this article. Yeah, well, I mean that's what she's saying because she definitely wants all games to be Mario. <laughs> yeah, and I mean like yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about Captain America, talking about Game of Thrones talking about the other stuff and like never once do you really make a convincing argument that games should be this way you just kind of point out that some are and that you don't like it yeah really all it kind of felt like was like complaining about somehow being forced to consume media that they didn't like but nobody held a gun to their head, so I'm not really sure why she's upset. Like, I, for one, don't, like, trying to think, like, I, I didn't play Undertale, didn't wanna, didn't watch Steven Universe, didn't wanna. These things don't appeal to me, and therefore I don't engage with them. Like, if somebody gave me a button and was like, if you just hit this button, then there will be no Steven Universe, I would be like, well... But why? <laughs> why would I hit this button? I don't care. Other people like the show. Well, yeah, there's no bad coming from Steven Universe existing. I mean, except for that one thing. Yeah, a couple fandom things, but like the button's not just to eradicate shitty fans. Yeah, that's, that's like a meta-textual <laughs> problem. That's not really a problem with the text of Steven Universe. No. Some of the episodes, I'm told, are very compelling and well-written, and I would, I would never say that that is not valid that that is not true like i have never seen an episode of the show we watched like, like three episodes babe oh did we oh yeah. i completely don't remember that at all. <laughs> that's fine that's that's fine i would never say that that's like because that doesn't appeal to me therefore no media should be like this yeah. This is not what we need for these trying times or whatever. Yeah. Like, the only way we as a society are going to collectively get over this trauma of being alive in 2020 is by watching Steven Universe and playing Mario. Yeah, man. Some of us want to watch Tiger King. <laughs> also, we have to get a better microphone. I know. Starting next episode, the, the Canadians will have a better microphone. Yeah, sorry about that. And you know what pays for better microphones? these ads and services. Avery is a friend of mine. He and his friends do a podcast y'all should check out called Brews and Reviews. Shout out to Avery. Shout out to Avery, man. Um, but so Avery and I were talking because he'd received some feedback about his writing that uh, people aren't going to care as much about your character if they are black or if they're in an interracial couple. And we were talking about how bullshit that is and representation matters. I guess it's just been on my mind a little bit when I think about this article, because if you're saying I decide what's black and I decide what's white, 
how far does that go? How many people get to decide black people don't count in stories or interracial couples shouldn't exist in stories because, you know, morally, I think we need to focus on other things. And I get that it feels a little bit forced that I'm saying this, but it just... No, not terrible. No, no. It's kind of like what I was talking about earlier. Like, okay, so is a lie always evil? Are we are we making that claim now? Like, what sort of perfect moral system are we operating on? Because I am highly suspect of anyone who says they have one. Well, and it's the age-old question that that guy asked when we watched Out in the Dark at the Jewish Film oh, Festival. Oh, the Israeli-Palestinian Romeo and Juliet movie, and they had that Q and A with the actor where he says, "But why does it have to be gay?" Fuck that. And guy. it was a beautiful movie. And the reason that it had to be gay is because he said so. That's the reason. The writer said so, and so it happened. And why do you have a problem with that, sir? If that's your issue, then maybe it's not for you. But you don't get to say that it shouldn't exist. And allow me to take that that argumentation a little bit further, even. So, (laughs) it... It has to be gay, sir, because that is a marginalized group in both instances of this Romeo Juliet story. They are they are marginalized because they are an interfaith, interracial couple, one being Palestinian, one being Israeli. But depending on the audience, that might make one of those characters sympathetic and one of those characters not. But by adding the layer of queerness on top of it, that alienates them further, even from maybe a sympathetic audience member who might now have to challenge themselves to empathize with this character when otherwise they would have, much like they might have to challenge themselves to empathize with the character that they might have not empathized with depending on their personal stances and politics regarding the state of Israel. But by having this be a queer narrative, now you are challenging the audience to to sympathize with both of these characters in ways that you might not be comfortable with, including their national origins now. So that's why it had to be gay, sir. Because if, if it was straight, then you might not have been equally challenged to sympathize with the character from the place you don't like and see them as a human being. They had the actor there answering questions about the movie as if he was an authority on it, which I find frustrating, but that's a separate issue. And they asked him that question, why did it have to be gay? His answer was because an Israeli woman would never do that. Yikes. Oh, wow. I don't even remember that because I was so rage blackout from the question before anyway. (laughs) Like, his answer to that is in fact that homosexuals are so depraved that they will sleep with Palestinians. (laughs) Like, can you believe it? That's what makes them so depraved and other that it makes this story believable. Wow, dude. Yikes. Maybe don't do so much media. (laughs) Bye. Yeah, that's just something that's going to stick in my head forever, just because it was a a weird time in my life. Yeah, I just remember that question making me so angry. It somehow seemed, and this is just something that I, I get to witness all the time now, that somebody just sat through the whole movie 
without really engaging or understanding it at all. <sighs> like they just sat there the entire time going, why is it gay? Why is it gay? Why is it gay? Why is it gay? To me, it's like the fucking crybaby boys who are playing Last of Us 2 and going, how come I have to play Abby? Refusing to engage with the media that they have chosen to engage with. Mm -hmm. Just purely out of spite. Like, you could turn the game off, dude. You can get up and walk out if you don't like gays in your movies. No one's <sighs> forcing you to be here. But there's just the refusal to critically engage with a film or a narrative that is telling you a story and probably has a message in that story somewhere if you look hard enough. Mm. And just folding your arms and being like, no! I don't like it. Like, that's what I don't get. Like, there's a lot of stuff I don't like, so I don't watch it. I don't throw a tantrum about how it's not to my taste and that makes it inferior. And like, there's a lot of stuff that I don't like and I do think is inferior. Like, there's a lot of stuff I think is bad, but... Season 8 of Game of Thrones. Unless, unless I'm getting, you know, paid cash money to talk about it, or unless I think it's harmful to society in the terms of something being like virulently racist or homophobic or whatever then i don't care yeah yeah and i guess that's what i find frustrating about the way that they end this article because it feels very flippant like they start on this i think there should only be black and white story oh yeah this argument builds to nothing and goes nowhere like yeah. they just it feels honestly I kept scrolling because I thought there was more. Me too. And then I hit the comments section. <laughs> oh yeah, my god, same. Me too. I was like, oh, oh, it's over. <laughs> okay. Well, and then they try to draw in current events by saying that the performance of police kneeling just for photos is very reminiscent of an anti-hero storyline. Is, is, is it so? Is it? Is it? Is it? Well, and that whole idea that the police identify with the Punisher so much... That's a conversation oh for a Can not, we have that be an episode, please? We will absolutely have that be an episode. <laughs> but that's that's not again what an antihero is. That's that's more that's more like a spy. That's more like just a bad faith gesture of placation. Yeah. To you know to sort of gain some moral high ground. That's not the same as a redemption arc. Or an anti-hero. So this writer just uses terms that they don't understand, and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, and it makes their argument fall apart, yeah. because that's not what an anti-hero is. Well, and it's that voker than thou, they're dropping the word fascism in there. And I'm like, I don't think you understand that the point you're trying to make is actually yeah, kind of pro It's like, <laughs> very prescriptive morality, which tends to have very kind of, like, fashy undertones. Oh. And just the idea that because I have equated it to a current political event that gives me like hot take status and like oh god this piece of writing is just garbage. They want so bad for it to be a hot take. And like hot take is not a high bar to clear. No. Hot take is like I have a controversial opinion and here it is. But that isn't even this because this isn't even like an argument. This no. is just like hey isn't the Punisher kind of like fascism or something? Isn't when sort of. isn't liking Joel sort of like being a cop <laughs> and like those that isn't the same? And you haven't convinced me in your writing that those things are the same because you don't actually have premises that are foundational to your conclusion. 
<laughs> so we're all in agreement that gray morality is important to society as a whole. Well, I mean, it's important it's to integral. stories. It's important to narrative, at least. The whole point of the reason gray morality exists as a concept is because we, ha- as a society, have not agreed upon a cohesive moral theory by which we should all live our lives. We are still hammering out the details. It's changing frequently. And there are, I guess, like landmark cases where you can look at a circumstance and be like, that is probably always bad or that is probably always good. But working that into a total operational theory about ethics is far off for us. Whole careers are being made and broken on these exact quandaries. Like this is not settled by any means. Gray morality Again, Grey Morality is not a character doing a very good thing and then turning around and doing a very bad thing. (laughs) Grey Morality is a character struggling to know what is the good thing. Mm. And, like, that's what this article doesn't seem to understand. They seem to think that Grey Morality is the former rather than the latter. And that's flat out incorrect. (laughs) And I don't know, I don't know how no editor explained that at any point before this was published. I'm just so shocked that it went up. Shocked isn't the right word. I'm mad that it went up. Yeah, me too. Well, and what, what makes me furious is because it got so much traffic is that this person will probably be published again by Polygon, which is a super bleak way that media and criticism is distributed nowadays. But again, that's a whole other story about the hellscape of the platform oh. and the the doom of the clicks that we all live in right now. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, we all had to contribute to adding clicks to be able to read this, to be able to be mad at it. Good job, I guess. Yeah, for a whole day, I didn't because I was like, I'm not going to engage with this sort of wrongheadedness just because I know it's going to line Polygon's pocket. And, you know, I had to because I had to read it to fucking waste two hours of my life talking about it now. And yeah, so you jokes on me, I guess. Well, I am all I'm all bitched out, man. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we, we've explained the entirety of the article to you. We, yeah, sure just, spent, we sure spent a lot of time right now talking about it, but please don't read it. Yeah. You know what it's about. Mm-hmm. Don't waste your time. It's a bad take, Courtney. <laughs> bad take, Courtney. Uh, so that'll do it for us today on Bliss Fully Aware. I am Bliss, and I appreciate you, Kelty, Kendra, for joining me today. You're welcome. I appreciate you too. And if you want to find us online... You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Blissfully Show. <laughs> and until next time, we will see you guys later. Bye. Um, bye. Also, I ship Raylo. Fuck you people. Anyway, yep. moving on. <laughs> Raylo gang for life. <laughs> She has fun editing, don't you, Bliss? <laughs>